We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. to be joined on your popping by the internationally successful voiceover and of course <laughs> uh, voice and accent coach renowned voice and accent coach it's nicola redmond step. hi <laughs> hi how are you good i'm really glad i wrote myself such an impressive introduction <laughs> well, i was going to say I, I read that straight off your own uh, description of yourself but i think it's i think it's fair thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> when i first came across you on a uh, a Facebook group. It's called the Voice and Accent Hub, and it's a space for voiceovers, actors, and narrators, and actually lots of other voice users now, like podcasters and presenters and things, to come to get up to date, accurate voice technique and vocal health information. Because I started to get a wee bit annoyed in all the forums with all the inaccurate, out of date information flying around voiceover land, and I was like, I've got accurate training to help with this. <laughs> Uh, because of my voice coach training so yeah well this is a fascinating area i as we were just talking before we, we started recording i was telling you that you know i've never done a vocal exercise in my life <laughs> but i'm always fascinated because you you put all kinds of exercises you know tongue twisters and things to re release your your throat and to make things sound better and just to wake you up in the morning all those kinds of stuff and you're very very consistent output got about 3,000 members of the group. Yeah, over 3,000 members now, which is amazing. What's great is when you you ask them to everyone to chip in with their own version of the thing that you've told them to do, and then <laughs> people go... Well, listen, if I'm out there looking like an agent on the internet, you have to come out and look like an agent on the internet as well. Thank you. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so how did this come about? Tell me a little bit about your background in your training. Yeah, so I trained as an actor actually originally in Manchester and then again at drama school in London. And I was doing the usual thing, kind of diddling around the West End and this show and that show. And not, it wasn't hugely fulfilled, but it was sort of working and it was sort of okay. Yeah. And then somebody somewhere was like, you're Irish, we need one of those. Um, will you come to this studio at this time? And I was like, okay, because the money they were giving me was much more than I was used to at the time when the in the little toe of the West End. So I went along and I did the job and it was just one of those kind of cheesy moments where you're like, oh, this is fun. And it was a yeah. voiceover job. I don't know if I said that. <laughs> so it was a corporate for, actually it was, um, it was for the screens that you get in medical centres, kind of giving people information about diseases and treatments and all that kind of stuff. So it was like an internal corporate, I suppose. Right. Yeah, and then that was sort of, that sort of, planted a wee seed so then I um, ended up getting an acting job that was like nine months long one of those lovely ones where they give you accommodation and stuff so I saved all my money and then I did a bit of googling and this was around the time when everyone was setting up home studios and I was like well I should get one of those then because I'm a very action kind of driven person so I was like well I'll just get one of those so I spoke to the person who was my agent at the time and they helped me get equipment and then I was doing stand-up as well so I kind of did stand-up in the evenings and then uh, voice stuff in the day, got completely obsessed with voice. And I was like, how can I do more voice things? And then I found this course at Central uh, School of Speech and Drama in London where I'd 
studied as an actor and it was like just a course in voice. It was a one year voice course called voice studies and my voice mm-hmm. studies now at the time i had no idea how renowned a course it was i was like oh well, well i'll see if i can get on to that then that'll be fun and then i got on and i was like well see if i can get some money to pay for it so i find this money sort of under the sofa not really um and <laughs> i did that course and that was like the final piece so now i am a fully fledged ma qualified uh, voice geek and a voiceover artist and i have the joyous life of getting to do both so i spend half my time in this wee box chatting to myself and half my time helping other people with their voices and accents and it's just wonderful it's a fascinating area. As I say, it's not something I ever did, and I, but I think that the resources these days for people coming into to voice work are fantastic, and people like you throwing out the you know the immense amount of information about how to do accents, how to look after your voice, how to relax your throat, and all those kinds of things. But it's very technical, isn't it? It's not just make a funny noise and you'll feel better. There's real kind of science behind much of the of the instruction. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I, what was interesting when I went to set up the group on Facebook was that I did a bit of research and I realised that there are loads of voiceover groups you know here and in the states and all over the world about how to be a voiceover the business of it the marketing the branding the voiceover you know biz stuff and casting but there was nowhere offering actual vocal technique help for people in voiceover and i was acutely aware of being active in those forums as you are just as a voiceover artist that people were asking questions and all this information was coming up and it was often well-meaning advice that people had heard from their singing teacher or that they'd heard at university or drama school 30 years ago. Um, I was acutely aware that a lot of it was inaccurate and I sort of had this weird moment of, I I really want to set up a space that can provide up-to-date actual technique information for professional voice users Um, because on Facebook at the time for our world, there wasn't anything like it and I think that's why it's been so popular and why it continues kind of to grow terrifyingly fast. It's loads of it is, you know, about how to use your voice. A lot of it's anatomy related, but for me, it's about I need to know that stuff. Like as the coach, I need to know all the anatomy, how it works, what's going on with the muscles and all the fancy Latin names, but you guys don't. So the whole point of the group is me disseminating the necessary information in a way that's digestible. Digestible. I can't speak. That's ironic (laughs) considering I'm a voice coach. Digestible for everyday voice users. That's kind of the thing. I keep going on about being the voice of Land Rover, but I was. And one of the things about this voice was it was very, you know, gravelly and Welsh and, you know, Land Rover above and beyond and, you know, well, that kind of thing. <laughs> because I always wanted to kind of access that gravelly bit, uh, I used to say to my agent, can we do a morning <laughs> session? Because in the, I wake up in the morning, sometimes my voice is going down here. And by the time I get in at 10 o'clock to the studio, then I've got it exactly where I want it, and I move myself into the mic, and I start whispering and doing all this kind of thing. But there have been occasions when, you know, for whatever reason, I haven't been able to get that morning session. So I turn up there at four o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly I realize that that lower register that I really want to access has slightly disappeared over the course of mm. a day of talking, what have you. And I would just drink a cold glass of water and try and do something, constrict my vocal cords or something. So it's interesting what you say about how you would access it in terms of constriction and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things, so if you're talking about pitch, pitch with voice is about the sort of the vocal folds themselves. So it's when you have to change pitch, the vocal, the larynx tilts and the vocal folds stretch and thin. 
thin out. So the higher you go, the kind of longer and thinner the vocal folds are, and therefore the the, the more quickly they vibrate per second, the more vibrations you get. Um, so for the lower pitches, what you actually need is um, more release and relaxation rather than constriction. So constriction in voice terms relates to t tension and kind of almost like a clamping down feeling. Um, so what I would recommend in that situation is some work to release the voice and sort of reset the voice because when you wake up in the morning and you've been lying down all night and you're very relaxed and there's nothing going on you know there's no tension in the vocal tract or even in your body then there's potentially and it's potentially easier for you to find those lovely low kind of thick fold lower registers throughout the day when we start working and we get a bit tense or we get a bit tired or whatever and you, you get to four o'clock there's a little bit more tension in the vocal tract so that's probably why you find it slightly harder to get those lower registers so I would say release work so some nice semi-occluded vocal tract exercises like lip trills a little bit of tongue release a little bit few yawns to stretch out the pharyngeal muscles uh, that constrict your muscles in the back of the pharynx and yeah release really it's really interesting stuff and as People listening to this who are new to the voiceover game are probably now beginning to realize that it isn't just a case of turn up at the studio and do a voice. It's that there's a lot, there's a lot more to it. And I think it's interesting to dig down into this area. One of the things you, you mentioned about release, one of the things I did notice, I always would cycle into town to do my voiceover on my bike. And inevitably, somewhere along the way, I would go, you fucking idiot! And having done that to somebody, you know, down Kentish Town Road, you know, um, but when I then got to the, the session, my voice was great. Uh, and I never, <laughs> and, I, and I always wondered, was that because I screamed? Did something release? Did something go there? And from what you're saying, perhaps that's unconsciously what I was, what I was doing in my fury. Yeah, well, maybe what you released was mental tension, which yes. you know, in itself <laughs> is useful because voice is a holistic practice. Potentially, yeah, maybe. I mean, high energy or extreme voicing like that is something that loads of people have to do. When you're in that situation and it's a very instinctive, primal extreme voice so that's not you going i need to prepare to do this really growly animal noise for a video game that's you instinctively being honestly connected to the emotion and angry and all that kind of stuff and yeah. um, that's when our voice is freest and is always there for us because it's authentic so your voice instinctively knows what to do so yeah like if you, if i saw somebody running in front of a bus my body would know to go i won't shout but go oi stop or wait and I wouldn't have to stop and go, okay, I need to anchor with my lats. I need to release my, my abdominals to let my diaphragm descend. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be thinking about the voice technique to get the volume that I needed. Yeah. It would be attached to that. It would be connected to that authentic emotion. And your voice tends to support you in that situation. And maybe, maybe in uh, connecting to that really authentic uh, emotional place of being an, uh, an annoyed cyclist, yeah. you perhaps connected with some, you connected with a nice bit of voice support. <laughs> yeah, well, I, perhaps I've invented a whole new technique there. The angry cyclist technique. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Use it, you can have it, no charge, it's yours. Thank you, I will take that, thank you very much. Now, I know you have lots of clients. You have clients, I guess, in the corporate world, the entertainment world, speakers, all that kind of stuff, presumably working one-to-one -one with people. How do you find that? Is that, of course, what I'm after is a bit of tittle-tattle. Um, <laughs> it's really like what gossip. we're all about. You want that dirty gossip, Simon. I get it. I get it. 
I mean, there are obviously, you know, non-disclosure kind of privacy agreements in place with all my incredibly high-profile clients that I can't talk about. <laughs> but for me, the juiciness comes sometimes in the different egos and personalities you get in the space. So as a voice coach, I am here to help anybody through any particular voice quandary or concern. And the client most of the time is responsive to that and is coming to you because they genuinely want your help and they want to improve. And, you know, they've seen me in the Facebook group or they've been recommended my services by somebody or what have you. So they're there because they want to work with me. Every now and again... You get these people, Simon, who come for coaching because they want to prove how much they already know. <laughs> so those are interesting ones. So sometimes you get people in the space and they are they sort of counteract every every bit of advice you give with another bit of advice, right? Or uh, question a lot of things, and those clients tend not to come back <laughs> uh, because you know, like, they're, if you're not open to receiving the information, then that it's not going to happen, is it? Absolutely. And sometimes I find with those clients, if they think they already have the right answer, then even if I give them an answer which is slightly more efficient or useful for them based in science or research or my own you know, experience, they're not going to be receptive to it anyway. Have you ever helped out impressionists? Obviously, I'm, I, as an impressionist, that's a particular interest to me because it, certainly with live performance, but also with recorded, but live you're, you're throwing out 20 voices in 20 minutes. Have you ever worked with an impressionist? Or if not, what would your advice be? Because I, I used to sometimes struggle and make sure that I got the impressions that the good ones in early in a way, um, because <laughs> towards the end of it, the voice could start, particularly if you're doing two or three gigs in an evening, by the end of it, it's all gone to hell. So A, have you worked with impressionists? And B, and B what kind of advice do you tend to dispense? I haven't worked with any impressionists who are just impressionists i've worked with comedians who do a lot of character work because my husband's a comedian and i come from that background so i do have quite a few comedian clients yeah this is what i find interesting about impressionists and you can tell me if, you, if you're the same or whether there's more to it for you we interviewed jess robinson on our podcast the voices of social and mm -hmm. um one of the questions that we put to her was you know what are you what is it you're doing what is it i want to know the technique you know what does it feel like she's doing and initially her response was, I don't really know, I just sort of do them. But then when she drilled down, she started to mention certain things which were more about technique based. So a lot of the impression work, impressionist work, from my experience, seems to come initially from a really um, natural talent kind of place. You have a natural affinity for sounding the same as other people and changing your voice in that way. So my first thing when I work with anybody who need, wants to go for consistent change in character voices is to sort of technically try and outline little things that they're doing differently to where their habitual voice sits so mm -hmm. that they can almost codify the voice that they're making or give themselves a little sort of um, like a little toolkit. What I imagine happens and what happens to a lot of comedians, particularly in those gig environments, is that by the end of the night, because of the nervous tension and the anxiety and that kind of adrenaline rush, a lot of tension creeps into the voice. And yeah. tension is one of the main things that leads to sort of vocal fatigue. So if you're experiencing towards the end of a gig getting tired, I would say it's because, I mean, let's face it, you're working your voice in a very, very different way over and over and over again to what it's used to. So it'd be like... If I was a swimmer uh, and all of a sudden I did a, a heptathlon, yeah, 
I'm sure if the swimming was first, it'd be fine. But by the time I did all those other muscular patterns yeah. in the throwing the things and the lifting the things and the rowing the things and the cycling the things, my body would be shot by the end of it because my body's not used to that type of activity. Yeah. So it's the same with voice. So I think that in, in terms of creating the voices, it's about working back. If you're an instinctive voice finder, it's about working backwards and getting yourself a little technique. Or is it the resonance that changes? Is it the articulation setting? Is it the um, is it the vocal, uh, the body energy that goes into that character? Is it the breathing pattern? All that kind of stuff. If you're someone who's experiencing vocal fatigue, I would say make sure that your warm up and your cool down involve a lot of release work. So lots of muscular release in the articulators, a lot of work to get the vocal folds vibrating and warmed up before you start. And then the other thing that I'm really key on is making sure that people aren't working with too much breath because too much breath and too much airflow means the vocal folds have to work a lot harder. So um, if you can just check in with the breath and how that's working, that can be really useful. Recently done a podcast called Making an Impression, which I interviewed people like Rory Bremner and Alistair McGowan, uh, Jessica Martin, Kate O'Sullivan, Lewis McLeod and others. And one of the questions that I put to everybody was, where does this start with you? How do you do this? And because my approach was instinctive, completely instinctive. So I would hear a voice. I had a good ear. Hope I've still got a good ear. <laughs> and, yeah. and then I'd try and copy it and, and, and find things. And I didn't spend a lot of time deconstructing what I was doing. So, you know, as a kid, I was just going to do my Northern Irish accent for you. But, you know, you know how everybody did Ian Paisley, right? People of my vintage yeah. anyway. Ian Paisley, down there, uh, shining and shining lightly. So we all learned that, right? And it was a kind of a, it's kind of, I wasn't thinking too hard about that vowel sound that's so different to my natural, you know, my natural sort of London <laughs> vowel sound. So it was instinctive for me. And when talking to lots of people like Rory Bremner, it was... Of course, he had that natural talent, but he did spend a lot of time quite forensically breaking down voices. Mm. Alistair McGowan, absolutely. You know, he'd start with a with a, a, a basic idea of of a voice, and then what? Where is that coming from? Is it coming from the roof of my mouth? There was one impression he did for me. I think it was uh, Robbie Savage, and he said the sound is coming out of the top of my head. I'm thinking, what, what are you talking about? But I, I kind of understood. You know, this is how in his mind he was channeling the noise that he was making. Whereas other people like, I don't know, perhaps like Al Foran, who's a brilliant Irish impressionist, for him it's just, I can hear it I, and I can do it. It's nice to have techniques to fall back on because there are times when you, particularly if you're trying to nail a new impression, you say, I, why can't I get that? And it kind of brings me to this accents which is again very much your your bag uh, and i love an accent i love trying accents i know that you've told me in your ahead of this uh, conversation that you find stoke very difficult yeah and i'm going to ask you to do your stoke accent <laughs> oh, in no, a minute please <laughs> but it's a work in progress you, it's a work in progress <laughs> where do you start then with an accent let's let's just yeah. take for the sake of argument let's just take scottish what notes are you trying to hit to make that work? So um, I literally just finished a, running a six-week course on this. This called the Ultimate Accent Toolkit, by the way, right. um, which was all about like a really giving people 
because for me, coaching is about me giving my clients autonomy to do it themselves so they don't actually need me, is a, a six-week course on all of the things you need to think about when you're breaking down accents. And it was really interesting hearing people's feedback on that because so many people with accents come at it from an instinctive perspective rather than a technical perspective. Mm. And both have power, you know? So when... For me, it tends to, I have an ear for accents like you do impressions. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. For me, I like to start with the musicality and the sort of tonal quality. I find those really beneficial. So uh, maybe it's because the music of my accent as, a, as an Northern Irish person is very distinctive. So a lot of accents have a very different tune and melody to my accent. So I find that helps me a lot. So, for example, my accent tends to have a kind of um, a down-up inflection at the ends of phrases. So it tends to, I'm sort of bobbing along and we have a reasonably small pitch range, but we go in and out of that pitch range quite a lot. And then at the end, you get this kind of um, feeling of going down and up. So everything sort of ends like a question, which is weird doing voiceover because you're not supposed to have that upwards inflection. So I always sort of feel like I'm not doing my own accent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's not for now. So I'll think I'll be listening to the melody and the tune, the use of pitch, um, how the accent stresses. So different accents stress um, the important syllables very differently. So like in RP, for example, um, we tend to stress with pitch change. So if the important syllables in the phrase tend to get a higher pitch or a slightly less high pitch. So you know, I've had such a lovely day today, for example, or I'd really like a cup of tea. Like it's all pitch, even if it's not a huge pitch range, it's mm -hmm. still pitch that, that emphasizes. Whereas if you take like a general American accent, it's much more about weight and volume. So if they're if they're emphasizing a syllable, it's about the volume or the weight rather than the pitch change. So you might get, I'd really like a coffee as opposed to, I'd really like a coffee. So for me, the music's huge for me. Um, but then my background is musical theatre, so music is in me anyway. Yeah. And then the other thing is tonal quality. So it's where, now this is where like resonance is a huge, like massive Pandora's box of technique stuff that we don't need to go into right now. But what you were talking about in terms of Alistair McGowan saying it feels like the accent's coming up out of the top of his head. Mm. For example, that would for me make him feel tie in with some of Kristen Linklater's work um, who was a very renowned voice coach is that you're thinking about really accessing those head resonances or those slightly um, higher resonances in the sinus area whereas some accents Scottish like you mentioned tend to a lot of them tend to sit sort of further back in the pharynx so you get this kind of more hooty sort of soft quality depending on the part of Scotland you're doing so again for me that's very different from Northern Irish my accent tends to sit kind of um, at the back of the mouth and has like a bit of spill up into the nose, a wee bit of nasal quality. Mm. So if I was doing Scottish, I'd be thinking about dropping it and feeling like the resonance is, is sort of further down in my throat, kind of that place. So resonance and music. You talk about music and that I think that's uh, instructive because I think everybody I spoke to on making an impression, pretty well everybody had some kind of musical ability, you know, whether it was just they're good singers or they could just hear things. I had Duncan Wisby on, who's a brilliant impressionist uh, from Dead Ringers, and he even sang me some songs. And you could hear how particularly somebody like him would pick things up just with hearing the music. And I was relatively musical. I was a singer, so I could hear things. And I think without breaking it down, that's probably what I was doing uh, as mm -hmm. an impressionist, just hearing that first, hearing the, the rise and fall, the sound, the pitch, where's this all coming from? And it sounds like a song and you can, you know, kind of, I would laser in on that. So it's, it's really interesting. Let's move on a little bit. 
I was delighted to hear you fumble the word digestible a bit earlier. <laughs> That's because for some reason, right, my bilabial plosives are always very weak. Well, bilabial plosives are the ones you make with two lips. So digestible. <laughs> I was going to say it was a bilabial <laughs> issue from the beginning. There are are words. I was talking to Melissa Sindon the other day on this show, and she was saying she struggled with traditional uh, and digital. Uh, I struggle with digital. There are a few others that I stumble across. Are there words that you find when you're in the booth, you're doing your voiceover, and you see that word, and you think, oh, shit, (laughs) that's coming up in the script. I really don't want to do it. For me, like, again, as, the, as a bit of a voice geek, it's more about the sounds themselves than the actual words. So, yeah, it, first thing in the morning, my lips are very weak, darling. Um, so I feel like I have to really work my lips. So um, the bilabial consonants that I mentioned, that's basically the consonants that are made with two lips where your lips come together. So m, b, p, w as well. So the, those ones, if I'm first thing in the morning, I'll just, like, my lips don't really tend to come together easily. So I find I have to really loosen my lips first thing in the morning. Sticking with things that people find difficult. Now, you've done terms and conditions. I can't even say terms and conditions properly. Have you done those? You know, terms and conditions apply. From the 3rd of yeah. August, the 25th of So you've done those. I don't get to do as many as other people. I think a lot of the ads that I do go back to Northern Ireland. Shock horror, because um, I'm Irish. I don't know if you heard that. I you mentioned it. Sometimes the terms <laughs> and conditions, they just cut them on from the person who did them for the other ad. Yeah. You know, so if I'm doing like a Northern Irish version of an ad that went national, they'll just cut the terms and conditions in from someone else. Yeah. So I don't get to do as many as I like, but I did get, yeah, I do get the odd one. I'm okay at them. I wouldn't be like a one-take wonder, but I, you know, I can do them. I struggle with things like, I can't do, well, I'm doing it now, but usually I can't do quick, quick consonants. I can't do lots of N's very quickly. Why is that? So the N is made. What's wrong with my N's, Nick? The N is a couple of things are happening, really. So the point of articulation contact is the tongue tip on the alveolar ridge just behind the teeth. So when you make the sound, you'll feel contact between the tongue tip and that bumpy bit where your teeth go into. But N's actually a nasal consonant. So the sound doesn't come out the mouth, it comes out the nose. So if you try to make an N and you pinch your nose... Like nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't do it. Nothing will happen. So a couple of things have to happen, I suppose, with nasal consonants like mm, because you're getting the articulation point, but the, the, the soft palate is also dropping down to allow the sound out of the nose. So it might just be that there's a wee bit too much going on for you. <laughs> you're saying I've got a big nose. <laughs> One of the things could be like the uh, a bit of addition, excess tongue tension. No, 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 tongue tension. You're brilliant at that. I'm faking it by putting my flicking my tongue backwards and forwards rather than making an end sound. I'm not really making proper end sounds there. I do have a bridge that I wear at the front that's quite clumpy at the back and sort of on the palate of my mouth. And as you said that, I thought, I wonder if that. That explains everything. My whole mm-hmm. life has just changed. And not that I ever need lots of ends uh, one after t'other, but it's just, it just always interests me that I can't do that stuff. And the fast talking is tough. Let's um, move on to direction because uh, it's, it's a fascinating area. And quite often as a voice artist, you're in the studio and you know, you've sort of come in and there, and there are nine hands to shake. You think, if there are nine people in this session, <laughs> it's going to be 
going to take a while. It's going to take a while. <laughs> What's the most ludicrous direction you've ever had to deal with? For me, it's more in those situations, the dynamic you witness between the people and the creative team. So someone will be like, so like, do you think it needs to be faster? You know, yeah, no, faster, but like maybe also slower. Um, but no, try it your way. That's fine. Like if, if you think it should be faster, then we'll go faster. Oh, well, should we try it slower? Yeah, I don't know. It's that kind of weird dynamic you get where they try to work out what they want. Yeah. And you're just kind of sitting there like, you could just let me do my job and see if I can do it instinctively. Um, but the other, the one thing that always gets my go and it happened on a job um and the voice if you call psni 101 non-emergency helpline it's me folks in northern ireland okay well it was unless i've changed it my auntie's always ringing up just to hear my voice the, that job was part of that job most of that job was saying every single police station name in the whole of the uk wow which as you can imagine was really really fun um well, what was interesting was with the Welsh ones, for example, they'd already recorded the Welsh voice doing the Welsh place names. And they were like, listen, should we just put the Welsh person in the cans and you can just repeat what you're hearing? And I was like, yes, that'd be great. So I literally closed closed my eyes, stood in front of the mic, and I was just like, Llanelli police, Llangotlin police, Llandudno police, like for an hour and a half, right? And I just <laughs> yes. zoned out. I didn't even look at the script. I was just yeah. like... And I just did it. Then they were like, the English voice has already done the Northern Ireland ones. Shall we play that through to you? And I was like, oh, I can probably I can probably do the Irish ones. Like, because they're from <laughs> there. And they were like, well, we've checked them all with PSNI. And, you know, they're very, I don't know if you're aware of the political situation. Like, they're very, they need them to be right. I was like, well, if you want to play the English person saying the Irish place names, I will. I'll repeat them. But like three names in, I was like, "This isn't going to work" because they were saying them all wrong, and it was getting me really confused. So I was getting someone in my in my ears going like, um, um, "So I live. I grew up in a place called Anachmore, and it's spelled A N A G H M O R E. Yeah, Anachmore. And they were like, the person was like, "Anamore," um, and I was like. <laughs> At what point do I say, please, can you trust me on this one? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a, a lot, lot, sometimes Irish stuff comes up that I'm like, this would be a good point for you to default to me and just let me go. <laughs> I was 100% brain dead by the end of that session. But the guy was like, they booked me for four hours and I did it in like two and a half because he kept saying, do you want a break? And I was like, no. No, I think we both just need this done. So every now and again, I just jump out of the booth and be like, okay, and have a little shake and a little spine roll and just have a drink and put it back in. And I literally, it became really hypnotic. <laughs> well, I guess this is where your training probably comes in handy because for me, I'm just going mad. Uh, I just want to scream. And I guess you have some, some exercises and things that you could just to give you, just to kind of center yourself to keep, carry on with the next 10, you know, is there, are there things that you would do in that situation? Yeah, there are things sort of mentally that are beneficial in those situations in terms of like grinding and just, you know, sort of feeling your feet on the floor and just giving the shoulders a roll and bringing yourself physically into your body, I find really help. Mm. And then there are certain little tiny exercises you can do mid-session to sort of reset the vocal mechanism. So if you do some lip trills, or you do um, some yawns or some tongue release exercises or some neck stretches. It's really beneficial for just removing any tension that may be creeping into the vocal tract right. um, so that you can get more out of your voice for longer. 
we were talking about the, you know the nine people sitting in the control room where one goes could you say and could you go up on and and then someone else will say why don't you go down on and but up on in <laughs> you know so you're an experienced uh, voiceover artist is there a point at which you you will actually say to them, look let me do it my way see what you think and trust me on this, or would you even say, I don't think up on and works? Are you much more, oh, look, whatever you say, I'll just do it. And, you know, you're not there to show your artistic genius. You're there to do their bidding. So what's your approach to this? Yeah, I think it depends on the client. you got to read the room in these situations. Mm. Like if they're really struggling, then sometimes we'll go, shall I just have a go like a free one or a wild one and see what you think yeah um but most of the time I you know we're hired voices they don't hire us to change the script they don't hire us to have any creative direction they pay people an absolute ton of money to do all that stuff sometimes it's frustrating when they get too prescriptive and don't leave you at all to to interpret the script you know, I find sometimes that's um, that's the younger ones, uh, uh, you know, the younger directors or whatever who aren't <laughs> used to voice, who maybe never worked with a voiceover before and don't actually realise that a lot of us, like, don't need too much direction. Or maybe they've worked with voiceovers before because, let's face it, there's a lot of them out there now yeah. with not a lot of experience. And maybe they've worked with voiceovers who've needed that in the past. What I like, do you know, usually they're like, can we just do one for levels? Yeah. I like doing it really well in your levels check just to set up guys this is where i'm at with this like this is what i can do with what you've given me and then you know then you can go from there it's a great tip that and it's something i've been doing all all my voiceover career do that level one really well and then they hopefully they'll say oh look the guy the guy's on top of it knows what he's doing and I think it imbues a bit of confidence in the room and they can trust you a little bit more than perhaps they might otherwise with their precious words. And I suppose you do always have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, a lot of the time, these campaigns are worth a lot of money and they have to make sure they get the right sure. thing done. So it's not up to us to interfere too much and it's not up to us to get frustrated when they ask for the same thing in 96 different ways and it's still not right. Like, yeah. it's just part of the job, you know, and yeah. they're at the top of a million point ad campaign and you are the voice of it. And as per usual, they've left the voice bit till the last minute. <laughs> you just have to do the best with what you're given. Yeah, I mean, there's always also that bit at the end, isn't there, where they say, right, uh, okay, Simon, um, just uh, we're just going to put this all together now and with the music and the bits and pieces. So just give me five or whatever. So you're sitting there in, and you're just hearing this thing being made, uh, kind of if they're still feeding it through your cans. And they get to the end of it and then everything goes kind of quiet. They turn the talk back off and you can see them all talking and you think, I know what's coming here. <laughs> We're going to start this all over again. You know, is that is that's a kind of thing. I think I know I've nailed this. I know I've nailed it. It sounds great with all the bits and pieces in the music. And then someone goes, Simon, could we just have another go at all of it? Um, all right. Then. And then it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, well, then, as you say, you know, if you're booked for your hour and they, you're half an hour in, they're entitled to keep plugging away with you till the hour is up exactly it's not their fault if you're brilliant at your job and you get it done in 10 minutes (laughs) you know when you're like recording remotely now as we do lots yeah i remember i did a session once and i had like this guy who had not worked with before and um 
I did it once and there was kind of silence and I was like, um, are you, are you okay? And he was like, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was great. Um, <laughs> should, should we do one more just in case? I was like, look, you can have 400 more, whatever. It was a nice script. It was like an easy one to yeah. do. He's like, well, let's do it again then. So we did it again and he was like, yeah, that's great. Uh, that was sort of it. But it was that lovely surprise, you know. Yes. Like, I, I love to think that someone's co- sometimes they come into a session thinking, oh, God, if they've had an awful experience or, you know, had four, they were doing the Irish and the Scottish and the English and the, you know, Welsh all in one day and it's yeah. been a bit of a struggle. And then maybe you just come in and you kind of, that doesn't happen all the time, by the way, but sometimes, you know, you do get those nice moments where people are like, oh, oh, now I understand why I pay the good money for a good voiceover. <laughs> I voiced a documentary called Mega Air. And it was one of those, you know, the tulips for Amsterdam are coming in on the big A4917 plane, but there's a problem at the end. So I was doing that kind of thing. And I was booked in for hours and hours and hours. And I did both of the first two episodes inside two hours. And I thought, I haven't done a lot of documentaries, but I would have thought, this is not really eight hours worth of work. And I sometimes think, Either they've had a really bad voiceover in doing their previous project, mm. or they've vastly overestimated. I mean, have you done any of that kind of work, by the way? Have you done any documentary voiceover work? I haven't done. I haven't had the chance to do much documentary stuff. Irish documentary stuff tends to go to the famous, more famous or Irish voices than me. Liam Neeson, I'm coming after you, or you know, Dermot <laughs> Kerwin, or whatever. Polly McGlynn. What's your weirdest voiceover job? Oh, I do a lot of phone systems for Irish pubs in America. And what's really interesting for that is what they think Irish sounds like (laughs) versus what actual Irish sounds like. So I spend a lot of time really appropriating my culture in a very, very offensive way (laughs) for like, you know, O'Neill's in like Southern Carolina (laughs) or whatever. So like... Welcome to O'Neill's Irish Bar. Press one for the crack. Press two for the Guinness. You know, like all this ridiculous stuff. I do a lot of that. I don't know if that counts as weird, but it always makes me die inside a little bit. I've definitely done some of those in my early days, those dodgy phone lines. I get them now. We answer the phone and it goes, hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Uh, fine. Who's this? Were you involved in an accident? Like, you know, they, they jip you into thinking it's an actual phone call. I've definitely done some of those. Yeah. I've definitely done a really dodgy, um, like, sex thing at one point. I didn't realize at the time. Not like not like anything. It was a, a website that sold underwear that wasn't for just wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say. I didn't really notice until later. <laughs> You know, I was living in my mom and dad's attic and I was like, I'm going to, I'll just keep doing it. It's okay. (laughs) Have you worked with, you know, one or two well-known voice people, actors, uh, perhaps not necessarily in a a vocal booth? I did have a really hilarious, tiny wee job with Ray Winston. Um, Ray, if you're listening, hey, how are you? Where I was an extra who just got given lines. You know that situation? I was given these lines and I basically had to find some powdered drugs in a suitcase, right? And the director came up to me and he was like, so you find the drugs in the showcase and I don't know, you pick the drugs up, you sniff the drugs, you look at the drugs, I don't know. And then, and then you look at Ray and you're a bit, what you know, you're whatever. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I will, I'd have 
not done drugs. I don't know what you do with drugs. So I just picked up this bag of white powder and, you know, and looked at it and looked concerned and sniffed and looked at Ray or whatever. And then uh, they called cut and moved on. And Ray just like sidled over and went, I don't think you'd sniff that bag of drugs, sweetheart. Because <laughs> it was cocaine, wasn't it? <laughs> I was like, wow, Ray Winston just told me how to do coke. That's pretty cool. If I'm ever in that situation in the future, at least I'll know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I do a lot of show support work for theatre and stuff. And a lot of the time mine's regional because I live in Manchester. So, you know, I'll do, I'll check in on a tour show. And a lot of these tour shows have people who used to be an X Factor or people who used to be in EastEnders or, you know, who are, who are treading the boards for the first time. And they're not used to the voice technique you need to be on stage. And most of the time, the really famous people are like really nice and really chill because I have quite a lot of high profile um, clients who have no problems with it at all. It's the ones in between that feel they yeah. have some kind of reputation to hold up or feel insecure in a new environment and all that kind of stuff that um, tend to be more difficult. I did do shows back when I had a career with people like Terry Wogan and Bob Monkhouse. I was on Celebrity Squares. Come on. And I found them, uh, both of those guys, absolutely delightful. But also during the course of my comedy career, I'd be giving a lift to some up-and-coming young comic. And I won't name names, obviously, but some people who are very famous now. And I thought, oh, Christ, this is just, you're talking about yourself for the entire journey between you know london and cobham or somewhere and it's so bitter and chip on the shouldery and all that kind of stuff and and those are the ones who were struggling and scrabbling and scratching to get to the top and they did and i wonder if that's uh, something lacking in someone like me who wasn't all that ambitious <laughs> didn't care that much i i try to always uh, Again, like the same with directors, uh, like give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that so much of this behavior comes from a place of insecurity or, you know, lack of confidence. And when you're yeah. a young buck on the comedy circuit, like I've been the person being driven around or I've done driving the headliner to a gig when I've been the, the open, like the middle five or whatever, when I was first, you know, and, and I've, I've dealt with those sorts of egos before. And yeah, some of them are just pricks and you don't want to see them again. But a lot of the <laughs> yes. time it's because they're you know, they're freaking out because there's loads of new com- comedians on the circuit and they don't know if their job's safe or they've had a really bad gig for like six nights before and they're really freaking out about this one. And, you know, I try I try to sort of stay open to the fact that it's often circumstantial. I don't agree with you totally. And I, I think you, you have to kind of take people as you find them and perhaps you can excuse them here and there. I, I think there were just one or two along the way. I thought, oh, it's all about you and it's yeah. nothing to do with anything else. You just think that you're important and no one else is. And <laughs> used to drive me mad. But, but on the other other side of that, as I say, that Wogan was lovely. And I, one of my a voiceover I did maybe 15 or 20 years ago, and I was in the booth with this guy. Didn't know who he was, but he had a nice Welsh accent. He talked like that. He was a very nice fellow. It turned out to be Rob Bryden, and he was Aww. such a lovely bloke. He was just about to break it, you know, on uh, with Marion and Jeff. I think at the time he was Mr. Voiceover anyway. He did a lot of voice work before he really broke into his acting and comedy career. And he said, I remember him saying to me, oh, it's a, it's a lovely job, this, isn't it? It's all civilized, isn't it? You just sit in a lovely studio and people bring you chocolates and a cup of tea and that's all. <laughs> I thought, lovely bloke. And, but I hear he's still lovely. 
even though he's super famous. They do say, you know, never meet your idols because, you know, I've heard loads of people who've met people and have been absolute blabbers. So I'm happy. I go the opposite. If I meet somebody famous, well, a different one I'm coaching now because it's a different situation and people are just people when you're when you're coaching them. But when I used to do, like, I used to do the stand in um, Newcastle quite a bit and every now and again you get the massive comedians who are local uh, just nipping in on the Wednesday evening to Red Raw to do, like try some stuff out so you'd be there and all of a sudden you'd be following Alan Davies or something ridiculous I default to like almost ridiculous rudeness as if to show them that I, I'm totally untouched by the fact that they're famous I'd be like yeah what <laughs> so you like you're in my way uh can I get past like so I tend to go like the complete opposite of the spectrum I'm, I'm probably the one that seems like a total brick to them because I'm like until I realized that famous people were just people <laughs> when I was younger, I definitely struggled with like existing in a space like being like, Oh my god, it's funny. Oh my god, it's funny. Oh my god, it's him. Yeah, what? What do you want? Oh, <laughs> almost like a Kevin, uh, like a Harry Enfield character, like, like huffing at them so they, so they knew I wasn't bothered by their presence. <laughs> when I was interviewing uh, impressionists on uh, making an impression, one of, I mean, I'd, I'd actually worked with Alice McGowan and one or two others, but I hadn't worked with Rory Bremner. And I was really nervous about meeting Rory Bremner. You know, he's kind of, I, wouldn't, I never really had idols as, a, as an impressionist, but he was there throughout my own performing career. And, you know, he was right up there and hugely admired. But I was slightly cowed by the whole notion of interviewing him. And he came on the screen and he was so delightful, so utterly civilized and funny and humble. You know, mm. it, was a, it was a real joy. And we ended up doing such a long interview. We ended up with two shows mm. out of that and we've stayed in touch. And it's, so you don't have to be an arse. <laughs> yeah, if you take one thing from this podcast, it's that you don't have to be an arse. Really That's going to be the subtitle of this yeah. episode. Hashtag don't be an arse. <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, because my husband's a comedian and, and we, you know, I meet a lot of comedians and stuff. And like most of them aren't arses. Like most people aren't arses. Unfortunately, it's just the ones that are seem like they stick in your memory. As you said, I think so actually, if you can get past that sort of patina of insecurity and then get below it, quite often they, you know, as you say, they're just they're just like you and me. There, you know. They're... Yeah, and your voice is just your voice, like. Exactly. And sometimes you have yeah. to address the ego that's suppressing the voice. Like that's something I've had to do before. I say, listen, your behaviour, and I get it, and I understand, but it is getting in the way of us making any progress. So there's no point paying me if you're not going to let me help you through that. Like there's a, there's an interesting thing in voice coaching where it's like, you know, where does the line from voice coach and therapist lie? Because I'm not a yeah. trained therapist, but I do understand humans and behaviour much more now as a coach because I see it in people and I see the effect it has on their voice. So, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one. We're coming to the end now. I just wanted to talk to you briefly about where we are. And, you know, I guess the voiceover industry is affected by COVID as, as any other, you know, mm. perhaps not as badly as, as, as some. But it has changed the way, I think, that the industry works. I mean, I've been doing voiceovers from home. You know, you're looking at me now and you can see I've got this cheap microphone. I'm sitting in a room in my house but i have managed to do professional voiceovers during this period you've got your home studio how do you find that uh, you know the, because you often as the the voiceover working from home you have to be more than just 
somebody delivering a voice, don't you? You have to have a little bit of technical savvy. <laughs> and I know this is not your strong area, but you must have some appreciation of EQing and bass and sound isolation and all that shit. Yeah, I mean... Listen, Sai, I'm a voice talent, okay? So my technical skill is like first year, like uni. You know, if, if we're talking about like how good you can be, I know what I have to plug in where and I know where to turn the <laughs> dial thing, uh, depending on the read. And I know my mic technique is good and you can see my booth here. Like it's lovely and it's treated and it, it was, you know, specifically designed and bespokely built, but I don't do any technical stuff. <laughs> if anything needs edited or anything needs EQ deed or whatever deed, I get somebody else to do it for me. And I'm very open with that. Like if someone says to me, can you edit this or can you do this? I'm like, no. <laughs> Um, and I, that, you know, in some worlds, that probably makes me a really terrible home voiceover. But I work nearly exclusively from home and always have because so much of my work goes back to Northern Ireland, and I don't live in Northern Ireland, so nobody's had an issue with it now. Unless, up to this point, unless every single client out there who's ever worked with me is like, "Yeah, her audio quality is crap," and they've never told me, then that's your fault. Why didn't you tell me? I'm as useless as you. And I, I was on a forum, uh, one of the, the podcast forums the other day, and someone was asking for some advice about editing. And I've become an editor now because obviously I have to edit my own podcasts. Yeah. And I realized I was dispensing technical advice about editing. And as I was dispensing, I thought, but I don't fucking know anything. And then I was thinking, should I just take this off? <laughs> because don't listen to me. But it did occur to me that you, I suppose, in a kind of a by osmosis or, or of necessity, you you learn a few tricks of the trade to, to yeah. get you through. But I'm joking in one sense because of course I know what's going on. But like, I don't do any fancy stuff, and I don't have a desk with load knobs on it and load of sliders. I have like a very easy peasy setup for my one mic into my computer <laughs> to my computer via a little box which has a couple of knobs on it. It's serving you superbly well. Uh, you. I've really enjoyed meeting you and <laughs> learning a few bits and pieces that, you know, I, might, I wouldn't call myself a, a skeptic. I'm never skeptical about, about voice training and accent training, but I think you've certainly opened my eyes to it. And I hope our uh, listeners have picked up some, some really useful stuff. Thanks. And, you know, the, I think the old accent and, and what's it, hub group is going to just go through the roof now voice and accent hub yeah absolutely i don't listen i don't mind i'm i like a skeptic and i understand there are reasons why people are skeptics and there are many voiceovers out there have never had to warm up a day in their life and that is fine but my answer to that would always be imagine what you could achieve if you did well, do you know what? I, I, it's probably too late for me to rescue my career with <laughs> with some of that, some of those techniques. But uh, it's been fascinating. It's been fun and very funny, and I've loved meeting you, Nicola Redmond. Thank you so much for joining us here on your popping. Thank you for having me. All the luck in the world going forward, and to everybody who's been kind enough to tune in. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time. Bye bye. You can find your popping on all the major podcast platforms, so why not subscribe and give us five stars? We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page, and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros, where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet.